0: Greetings, citizen.
1: I am the High Programmer known as Michael Kuhl. You're simply a false High Programmer because Roger Bell West is the one who has System Administrative Access at this point.
0: And this week we are bringing you happiness and joy and no treason whatsoever. And hot fun. Uh, Hot, hot bubbly fun. um, As we review uh, our happy memories of paranoia. We'll also be talking about... uh, Uh, Adversarial jamming in general. And we'll be mentioning some nice things about uh, a game that I liked. And Roger is going to be issuing some criticisms of a game that he still
1: likes quite a lot. That I just don't quite get. And also we consider, how little can you get away with telling the players when you're starting a new game? And this is
0: Improvised Radio Theatre with
1: Dice Citizen
0: We're reaching deep, deep back into the back of the cupboard to bring something out uh, today. Uh, back to the year 1984, most appropriately. Um, a year in which many of our listeners were probably gurgling in their, in their cradles. And a year in which I'd been uh, role-playing for about five years. And it was in a house of a friend of mine where I'd gone round to do a day's uh, GMing and, and role gaming, uh, that one of my friends opened up the copy of Different Worlds, which was uh, a general gaming magazine, uh, back when we had such things, that I brought along, mostly for its sort of Request content, and read out the text of an advertisement. Uh, the advertisement was nothing fancy, it was just text, um, no pictures at all, but what it said in part was this. The computer is your friend. The computer wants you to be happy. If you are not happy, you will be used as radiation shielding. The computer is crazy. The computer is happy. The computer will help you become happy. This will help drive you crazy. Being a citizen of Alpha Complex is fun. The computer says so. And the computer is your friend. Rooting out traitors will make you happy. The computer tells you so. Can you doubt the computer? Being a troubleshooter is fun. The computer tells you so. Of course, the computer is right. Troubleshooters get shot at, stabbed, incinerated, stapled, mangled, poisoned, blown to bits, and occasionally accidentally executed. This is so much fun that many troubleshooters go crazy. You will be working with many troubleshooters. All of them carry lasers. Aren't you glad you have a laser? Won't this be fun? Stay alert. Trust no one. Keep your laser happy. And by the time he'd finished reading out the advert, I think there was not a geek in the room who wasn't saying, oh man, I must play this game. I I think they got me at the bit about radiation (laughs) shielding. And we did indeed have to go out and get this game Uh, A new role-playing game from West End Games, and it was great fun for many years thereafter. And we're going to talk about it a bit
1: now. So, Paranoia. Published, as we said, in 1984. Written by Greg Kostikian, Dan Gelber, and Eric Goldberg. It was their first role-playing game, wasn't it? Uh, Gelber and Goldberg, I
0: haven't heard about No, I meant the the company. West End Games had done board games before that. Trivial
1: detail. You may be right. I don't remember. The um, but there um are. There were quite a lot of adventures, many of them very good indeed. Oh, yes. Uh, second edition came out three years later. Yep, which was improved, the computer told you so. It had m- more humour, and it had a, a more lightweight rules system, because yep. the, the first edition was a bit clunky, because, hey, the, it was the days when everybody expected role-playing games to be full tactical simulations, and you could lighten that a bit, but not very much. There wasn't a
0: whole lot point in full tactical simulation when... Smoking boots was what you are aiming
1: for. Yeah. But anyway, um, the, the the second edition was, was somewhat lighter. That led into Metaplot, which we've talked about before. There, there were a series of multi-module strands, yeah. starting with the Secret Society Wars, leading on into the crash, mm. as in the Secret Society Wars got out of hand and the computer is just not there anymore, and then the reboot. Yeah. Now, as we've said about Metaplot before it's kind of difficult to use an adventure that's in a particular point if you're not following it. Well, why? If you're using a post-crash adventure, you pretty much have to have no computer or it doesn't work.
0: I'm going to come back come back to this, but I want, I want to say that Paranoia's metaplot was a particularly dumb uh, procedure,
1: in my in my humble opinion. But anyway, then then there was the addition that we don't talk about. Because of uh, copyright reasons? No, because it wasn't very good. Oh. Uh, this came out in, in ninety five. Uh, they started with some of the original authors and illustrators, but they got a new art director who fired Jim Holloway, who had created the look of the thing. Mm-hmm. The the authors left for various other reasons, and it was basically run by people who, who didn't really get it. Mm. So it was much more pop culture spoofs and slapstick, rather than dark humour. It was yeah. horribly unsuccessful. West End Games tried to produce another edition, but went bankrupt first, and the original designers bought the rights of them. Yeah. So that led, in 2004, to Paranoia XP. Oh, that's the one with the... Uh, yeah. From, from Published from Mongoose. It was a complete rewrite, um, mostly written by Alan Varney, although uh, quite a lot of other people were involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, they then came out with the 25th anniversary edition in 2009. They've produced a reasonable amount of support, though it's... it's at this point in 2014, it's pretty much back catalog material. I don't think they have produced anything for the last few years. No, I'm, I'm I'm not at all familiar with the later later bits. I must say, um, but that that does explicitly uh, throw out basically everything from the metal plot onwards. Going, yeah, going back to a classic. Going though. back
0: to a, uh, the classic, you're underground and you're trapped with a mad computer um, and even madder colleagues in charge of your life. I think that uh, the, the the fun of it. To start to start off with, was that there was no damn fairness about about it. As I think um, Churchill said, said about about the order of the Garter, that the great thing about it was that there was no goddamn merit about it, <laughs> and there was no goddamn fairness uh, about about classic paranoia. It was about stabbing your buddies and surviving the GM. Or from the GM's point of view, causing as much anguish and trouble for the play- uh, players in as me- amusing a fashion as you could.
1: Yeah, I think in the context of first edition, we were, there, there was a lot of dungeon bashing still going on in '84. I think it was, there still is. It, on, it, yeah, yeah. But, it, but it was still the default mode of play it was all yeah, usually expected. But what I think had been going down a bit is is the idea of explicit competition between players, which was always sort of there in the dungeon bash, but not well. Not for, always some, there. for
0: some people, it was. Were- it was a problem for some people, it it still is, that you have these groups that are supposed to be companions, um, groups of heroes, and people say things like, well, what my character would actually do is stab you in the back and sell you all out, uh, preferably as slaves
1: in the mines of Aldemaran. Or pocket the biggest gem and say, hey guys, look, I found some gems. Yes. Or whatever yeah or, so, or, so or whatever that that, that that strain of things was I think going going out of fashion, but people people well what was happening was
0: people were coming along and saying um saying this is bad, this isn't real role playing and, and we were trying to be more sophisticated, but it keeps happening and when things keep happening, they keep happening for a reason, and the reason is that people enjoy doing this
1: yeah so, so, so paranoia makes that explicit yeah. You are here to backstab your buddies. Oh, and incidentally, you might try to complete the mission. (laughs) No, no, I think it's more you're
0: here... Well, I was a GM. You're here uh, here and you're going to backstab your buddies. And if you don't complete the mission, the computer will use you as a reactor shielding.
1: But you'll be happy. You'll be happy, reactor shielding. (laughs) Um, One of the things I like about it, in fact, is that if, if you mix it... In your general game playing with other games, yeah. then the people who really want to do that can indulge their taste it in paranoia, and may be less prone to do it elsewhere. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying. There are,
0: there are doubtless are uh, other games where uh, backstabbing and uh, and uh, uh, and interplayer rivalry is a big thing, but there are not where it's quite so much fun as in paranoia.
1: Well, I think part part of the point of this is what one might call the light-hearted dystopian setting. Mm. Yeah, it, It's grim, but you can't take it too seriously. And therefore, you're not, you're not saying, OK, I've generated this character. My, my goal is to become a high programmer. Yeah. You're not going to survive to become a high programmer. You're probably not going to survive till tomorrow. Yeah, the the, real, you, you the can't, rules you for can't, advancement were very regulatory. You, you can't have a long-term plan. The rules make it entirely clear that there is absolutely no point in this. And therefore, you just get, take what you've got and enjoy it. Well, quite...
0: And you have six clones to back you up um, in, in, ca- in the in the event of the inevitable um, death by um, uh, by uh, laser fire, a uh, death by uh, mal- malfunction of equipment, uh, or just general, general death. It didn't malfunction. You were using it wrong. Ah, uh, there is, has been treason in the in the manual production department again this week, citizen. <laughs> but yeah, the. That it was a very, um, a very stylized game, which had to rely on certain assumptions, like the fact that the computer never notices the members of the same clone family always have the same mutation and are always members of the same secret society. But um, your 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 slates is wiped clean. It is just so much fun. And on the occasions when the players can actually outsmart um, the system and the uh, um, and everything that's weighing against them, then it's
1: it is so much fun. It's an example, I think, of um, using metagame information mm-hmm. against the players. As a player, you know, because you've read the character generation rules... You should not have read any of the rules. That you've read the character generation rules oh, right, that say right. what your character is like. Yeah. And you know, because you know everybody else has used the same character generation rules, that everybody else has a secret mutant power. Yeah. Everybody else is a member of a secret society. But you cannot use that information... Because if he's not throwing around wild accusations, well, they're going to start throwing wild accusations back at you. Yeah, I think
0: the high, yeah, the high, the high point for me of the the game system was prior to the um, to the Metaplot infection, and um, after a second edition, uh, there was um, a lot of complication thrown out, and it was plainly up to the GM to wing it in situations where the rules weren't clear and where things could be, um, and you could at least give the impression of fairness even mm-hmm. as, as you screwed them over. I remember things like the, the Yellow Clearance Black Box Blues. Um, one of the classic adventures, One of the classic yes. adventures. I remember um, me and my Shadow Mark IV in mm-hmm. which one of my players managed to convince the giant war robot they were guarding to get down and boogie <laughs> Which was one of the uh, things the 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 whole I per, was perhaps too gentle for a, a paranoia uh, GM, but the but the tensions generated between the the players as they tried to realize their highly conflicting agendas um, was almost
1: always enough to fill the entire evening. Yeah, the thing that I have found is a problem with some of the classic adventures is that. Lots of the best jokes are in the second half of the adventure, and if you write it as written, the players won't get to the second <laughs> half of the adventure. Uh, um. Well, yes, but and one they, of the yeah. one of
0: the nice things about about the early paranoia line was the design and the look at, look of it. It was it was put to, put together with a lot of handouts, with a lot of stuff you could g- keep give the players to keep them amused. I remember especially a picture of the control panel of the submarine. That they found themselves aboard once, without any training, without mm-hmm. any understanding of where they were going, dust what the uh, dust board. and and you and you had a, a list of things to do when they pulled this lever, and things to do with when they pulled that lever, which sent a circle round to go ahuga ahuga a lot. Yep. But um, the, the, sight, the sight of all the player characters and their clones, which had come along because you really can't send a clone along to someone in a a submarine Ah. (laughs) who are stuffed into into the back compartment. It's one of my happiest memories of gaming.
1: (laughs) One of the things that I very much liked about the recent XP edition Hmm. is that they explicitly said, here are three different styles of play. Yeah. Uh, There is the zap, which is basically, you probably won't survive beyond the mission briefing, um yeah, you know, just throw, throwing accusation treachery all over the place. There's, there's the classic where you actually have to back them up a bit. Yeah. Which I think is, the right paperwork. Which I think is the, the sort of era you're talking about, the second edition. Yeah. Um where yeah, you're still gonna die pretty soon, but you've got a chance to do something about it. Yeah. Um then there's the one that is nude in XP sort of, yeah. That they call straight, which is you, you're actually have, it's much more like a conventional role-playing game in that you're living a reasonably long time. You've got long-term plots that you're trying to work on, and so on. Mm. This is actually, if you if you have a look at the first edition rule book, yeah, that's actually implied in a lot of the background material. But it yeah, just never actually came out in the adventures because it was much more fun running well, running around well, shooting well, traitors. It was never a
0: useful g- game for for long ter- term. I I think I may have seen players rise from. Re- Red to orange, but never as far as yellow unless that's where they started out yeah. um there is there there is no no way you can can run long term a long ter, term
1: campaign pain with it it's there for light moments and it does that terribly well i've certainly seen it pl- seen it played most as uh one shot games at conventions
0: yeah I will say one thing about paranoia x p which is probably the reason I never um I never really followed it up after uh, buying the Core Rule book, which was that the they made a mistake in the basic introductory adventure, in which they decided to subvert one of the tropes of the um, setting. I think it was the I can't remember. I, I remember. I remember it was um, at, at, at one point one of the tropes of the, the standard paranoia adventure gets subverted. In an introductory adventure in which you're introducing players new to the game mm. to to the to to the world and how things work, and I thought that was deeply dumb and not one of the best things. But it may be wonderful with the current Mongoose edition. I just haven't e- explored it.
1: And uh, as a rule system, I think it's probably the, the best one that's been published. Okay. Um, it keeps things fairly lightweight. Um, which is all that really matters. I, I I must admit that if I were the sort of person who enjoyed drama system, I would probably turn this into a drama system game because it's absolutely suited for it. It's it's all about the. It is all conference. about you.
0: You've got a point. It's a, uh, except that, um, except that I think a drama system may, may be a little too um, gentle in that if you give if you give. <laughs> If you give up your desire at one point, you're getting tokens which you can spend on getting your desire at a later point. And that just isn't paranoia. Let's be perfectly frank. You get frustrated early, you get frustrated in the middle, and you get frustrated and dead at the end.
1: Perhaps every, everybody ought to have as one of their drives the tension between death and actually doing what you want to do.
0: Well, true. <laughs> and, you do, and you do get uh, a six-pack a, a six of uh, free replacement characters. I think that the... Metaplot to go back to that point. Yeah, um, I think it, it it broke one of what I think of as one of the basic laws of universe development, which is thou shalt not make the universe less cool. And to be honest, the 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 death of the computer made the universe a lot le- a lot less cool, a lot less interesting.
1: The, the well, we'd pro- had post apocalypse games by then. Mm. Um, uh, I think there were it,
0: attempts to tighten with with. With cyberpunk-y stuff
1: at one Oh, the, the, well, that was before, at the beginning of the metaplot era, as one might yeah. say. There the, the was the uh, crossover adventure where a, a dungeon bash party... I remember, Orcbusters. G- yes. Um, the, the Alice Through the Mirror Shades was the first Secret of Society Wars adventure, but it was basically in, originally in the same vein. It's a crossover adventure with cyberpunk. Mm. And they, they, they went along on those lines, but... Uh, it wasn't just the complication; it was
0: let's take some basic aspect of the the universe which is running well and um, trash it and then bring it back with the uh, the revival of the one of the first high programmers
1: and and all that stuff the, no the, the, This isn't a universe in which one necessarily expects you know rigorous scientific logic or anything.
0: No, um, in, indeed. I, I think. I think if you show signs of rig- rigorous scientific logic, you are in fact uh, displaying signs
1: of treason. What well, well, I suspect, in fact, what one of the principles of humour, as one is expected to display it here, is that expectations are subverted. Yeah. I,
0: I, I remember having this long argument about how the uh, uh, with one of my players who who was being a little anal retentive about how the uh, how the troubleshooters' armour worked to absorb the radiation of all lasers of a lower security grade than yours. But we never did... I, I, I just had to say, look, it, it's super science. Fear with it. You're right, it doesn't. You're dead next time. <laughs> <laughs> I should have been... Uh, I should have been crueller, as I, uh, as I say. I did... Having, having dragged out, out my memories and the small amount of paranoid stuff I still have, I, uh, I I do have a, a yearning to to go back and and do a bit and introduce it to a new generation. Except that I still have the same generation that I introduced it to <laughs> in some of my groups. The the player who uh, who, who read out that uh, that advert is still in my Wednesday night group, and therefore um, <laughs> I'm feeling um, I'm feeling maybe I should go out and proselytise and find new young innocent virgins
1: I can despoil of their paranoia, innocence. The um for for me at least, it's been most fun, and both as GM and as player, when I've run it as an occasional change of pace. You know, we we finished that campaign. Yeah, we'll run Paranoia for a week or two.
0: Yeah, there are, there, there, the are there are there are numerous games that that are good for this, uh, but Paranoia is um, one of the best. I am getting a slight Paranoia vibe out of my current campaign of the Laundry, but it's <laughs> designed it's it's designed that that way. The only the only thing is that instead of the computer being charged, um, uh, you've got Anderton, and, uh, and instead of uh, reporting to a, a termination booth, you're more likely to be sent to
1: the field office in Nether Wallop, or somewhere like that. I have been talking for some time, and sooner or later will actually write it about an adventure uh, for Reign of Steel after the Robot Apocalypse, where the player characters are. Troubleshooters for for the Northern American state that is not ruled by a computer, honest. (laughs) Just ask it. (laughs) (laughs) It, It's acting purely in an advisory capacity. Yes. And given that one one of the um, canonical elements in this setting is that the the guys who are working for the uh, WASPs, the Washington Armed Security Police, are mostly cyborgs with brain pods. Mm Mm-hmm. A brain pod could survive all sorts of explosions. <laughs> we can we can slot it into another body for you. Ah <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear, yes. Though I suspect it may be actually even more lethal than standard paranoia, because hey, you got heavy weapons.
0: It is a, almost a paradigm of the of the the development of role playing games. Alas, that you get the original great good idea, the second edition which is even better and is the the core fun of the game, and then things start falling apart and decay and then people come along. This probably applies to almost all creative art forms, especially cinema and television as well, that people come along and don't really grasp what it is that they're selling, who spoil it, and
1: then it gets reimagined 20 or 30 years later. The difference in this case is it didn't get copied by everybody. Mm. One could make an argument for tales of the floating vagabond, but really, let's not. Uh, yeah, really let's good. not mention tales of the floating vagabond, which
0: <laughs> they, they 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 brought the they brought the artwork, but not but not the funny.
1: Some future episode we can talk about that briefly. Uh, very briefly, how briefly?
0: briefly. <laughs> yeah, well, we could we could do an episode on games, which in in uh, uh, in Dorothy Parker's phrase, are not to be discarded lightly, but thrown firmly across the room. Mm-hmm. However, we hope we have revived. Uh, we've been all soggy and nostalgic here. We hope you, we have revived uh, your good memories, if you have any, or sparked your interest in trying it yourself. Or well, we'll pass on to the next thing.
1: We had a comment on the previous episode. John Dalman writes Being forgetful, arbitrary, and vindictive is always bad. Unless you're running classic paranoia where it adds to the atmosphere but doesn't encourage players to come back. I think paranoia is tricky in this uh, because I don't have enough in the way of masochistic tendencies to enjoy it all the time, but I have plays in a paranoia campaign. Run run by John, in fact. Yeah. Uh it was rather closer to what, what's now called the straight style. Yeah. Um much less turning your bodies and much more the the universe is up to get us. Yeah. Most specifically including our superiors. Therefore we band together to stay alive. All right, I did base my character on Nikolai Yezhov, but... Uh, who is Nikolai Yezhov? Uh, he was the guy who was so f- such a feared head of the Russian secret police that Stalin thought he was more feared than Stalin, and so he ceased to exist. Yes, all right, that, that, that's not what you want at your annual review, is it? Greg was in felt in, in 1984. Yeah. He had to say, in the GM advice, kill the bastards.
0: <laughs> well, you see, I'm a sadist, and therefore I enjoy... Being a paranoia GM, but I also enjoyed, um, you know, not that much of a switch, but I enjoyed um, twisting and turning and avoiding. But as I've said before, a good death, if such a thing were theoretically possible in paranoia, is a great is a great uh, draw for a, for an actor.
1: It usually involves high explosives.
0: Yes. Um, and if you can take some of the bastards with you as you go.
1: But your point was... Well, and adversarial GM has been out of fashion it's been going out of fashion yeah. for a long time it's not dead yet but generally speaking these days I think it is expected that the GM is a player of a slightly different class and all yeah. the players are going to collaborate in to, uh, working out what's going on yeah I, I find that uh, under salts
0: or under spices the, the, the soup a little a feeling that the universe in the persona of the GM is out to get you makes the pulse race and the life and death of your character seem more real and more important. Now this said I'm a I'm a I'm I'm a something of a, a of a soppy person who does not follow his own advice, but I feel you should be able to give the players the sensation of hanging on by their fingernails. Tomorrow I'm going to be running a Laundry Files um, adventure um my Wednesday night group. By the time you read this, this will have happened. This will have happened. Uh, spoilers for anybody who is uh, playing in any of the black bag uh, jobs adventures. At one point, they are going to have to land on um, a North Sea oil rig. And as they start to get out of the helicopter, the whole thing will give a nasty lurch. And they will they will find themselves scrambling to get out safely before it goes over the side. Now, in fact... The chances are that they're going to get out. The, the The scenario is, is quite quite forgiving. But, given the luck of some of my players, it is entirely possible <laughs> that they will find themselves dangling on the edge by their fingernails. And if it push comes to shove, I'm going to have to allow one of their precious characters to go over the side and die, horribly. In the North Sea, freezing to death uh, before they get eaten by the squamous things that are lurking beneath the
1: surface, and I feel that the players should know that. Yeah, I'm just remembering what one of the classic things people said about Rollmaster hmm. was: "Oh well, we were going on an adventure, and the GM ro- ro- rolled for the wagon driver, and he, f- he and he fumbled, and we all died in a wagon wreck before we got to the adventure." Yeah, which cool. was never particularly fair, even to Rollmaster, but. It does seem to me that what one wants in, in some ways is a sort of consistency. As, as a GM, I'm too kind to PCs a lot of the time. And so ev- every so often I think, I haven't killed off a character recently, I ought to make something a bit more dangerous. And then you kill in the entire party, don't you? No, but the, the, the players, I think, get annoyed because it is more dangerous than the, than, than it has been. Not in a narrative way, but you know, all of a sudden. All of a sudden, they are finding... I mean, if, if if you're going up against a different lot of bad guys who yeah. are tougher, then fair enough. But um, I, I, don't, I don't perhaps set the boundaries as well as I might on that. I... Well, I have
0: warned them. I, I The thing is, I, I've led up to this adventure saying I'm being too nice to you. I, I'm running out of material that is going to be quite so easy for you to survive. And they're still bitching about how the training system in, in the laundry doesn't allow them actually to, you know, train. <laughs> um, and so... Uh, but they are they are definitely going out and uh, and I've done my best to indicate that this one might be a bit nasty. I don't know if I'm being fair or if I'm setting myself up for them to just what swan their way through it and not get not even get get nicked at the size whilst the n p c uh squads of s a s uh of SAS members are going to die in their stead i got the foreign feeling that's how it's going to turn out.
1: Yeah, and um, the the talk party I'm taking through the uh, pre-written adventures is getting getting towards the end of the first big adventure. Mm. And they, I don't think they've been seriously challenged so far. I mean, yeah, there have been some tricky things and they, they've burned possibilities, but they haven't, for example, been actually taking damage. Mm. I've got a feeling you should... There should be... For all the talk
0: of modern-day gaming being about storytelling, about collaboratively building up the adventure, I still feel there's a place for the for the killer GM. Uh, I feel I'm not one of the killer GMs, but it, it should be. At least if the players are aware that that's what's happening. Yeah. On the other hand, I, I recently ranted in Alarms and excursions about the impossibility of making the current wave of zombie uh, movies and stories enjoyable for a, for a for anybody except uh, somebody who's basically doing figures wargaming, if you if you are a squaddie with a flamethrower and ways of enemies you can kill without conscience, in fact you better kill them without conscience, or, or you're going to become infected too. Come at you, then that's fun for a figures wargamer, but it's not a great deal of fun for a
1: role gamer. Yeah, it's a though. combat exercise, yeah. And
0: I can't I can't figure out a way to make things like World War Z or or things like that. Actually, function. And this, I say this after reading GURP Zombies* and all the excellent advice and stuff that, that goes in there. I just can't get that sort of uh, thing, and I could
1: not be a killer GM in those circumstances because there would be no fun in it. I'm thinking of the classic films. You get a certain amount of look at this gore effect we generated yeah. which obviously you can't do in a role-playing game—not uh, not very well, anyway. Oh, I don't um, a good description can can <laughs> turn the stomachs of the of the starters yeah, right. player, but. Um, it seems to me that where you get the character moments in there, is when the the posse is briefly hold up somewhere, and here are five people who don't really like each other very much. Yeah, um, and they have some conflicting goals, and they probably have you know, two guns between them. Got to be two guns, because then they can you know, point them yeah. at each other.
0: We well, you could you could do something like that with
1: there's a uh... but it seems to me that that's where you get the character stuff in a, in a zombie. Yeah, except uh, a... between the fights. Between the
0: fights, but can you write you could write a one-off scenario in which you are the people trapped in the uh, routing cabin as the, the world surrenders to the wet wave of zombies and you, you gradually discover what's going on and maybe one of you has, you know, the infection. I'm reminded of the prison break, I think it's called for Unknown Armies, which is a, a classic scenario um, in, in there, which is about a group of, of, of escaped of escaped convicts and the people they're holding hostage and the weird stuff that's going on, uh, but I don't think you could write it for a campaign because yeah. that 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 mo- the moments in which you you're trapped there and and you have to make the decisions about who you are and where you're going and what you're going to do and who's going to survive. That you could do as a one-off role-playing thing and that would be fun. But when the wave of zombies
1: arrives, then the the game is over. I agree, there's not a lot of campaign potential, but I think may- maybe one should look at something that's got more um, narrative content to it than an individual film can manage. I mean, consider, for example, The Walking Dead comic and TV series, which may-, got... may not be particularly to your taste, it's not particularly to mine, but it does give you a model of what you can do. And it, in fact, what what they mostly seem to be doing in that, at least with the stuff I've seen, is sorting out internal problems in the community. Mm. Um, occasionally dealing with zombies when they get close, and occasionally going on foraging runs. You know, there, there is a rumor that there is something that might be a cure, or at least, or at least a vaccine yeah. in 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 the old CDC. So let's go and have a look at the old CDC. That sort of thing. Maybe I, I don't know. How, I don't know how much long-term potentially it's got, but it seems to have supported the comic and TV series for a while. So yeah, it's like
0: the infection. It's the infectious nature of the of of the enemy, and the fact that anybody can become. One of the enemy that I suppose turns my stomach as a as a, a bit. I'm not sure what it's a metaphor for.
1: I think just in game mechanical terms, you you want something as we talked about when we were dealing with military role playing. Mm. Uh, you you need a supply of replacement PCs. True. You're not going to get fresh, uninfected people in fairly rapidly, so they probably all all to be in there. You, you, perhaps you've got a reasonably large community, yeah, of which your initial PCs are some of them, but there are, there are more potential PCs waiting in the wings, yeah. Oh, this
0: drifts a little bit a little bit from from the topic which was uh kill the bastards kill the bastards yeah the, let the bastards know they can be killed um there is there is a technique um which I, I i mentioned before i think of the opening flash scene the false opening flash scene in which you give out player characters and say well this is the situation and this is what you've got to do, and then ruthlessly kill them in the opening bit of the, mm-hmm. of the campaign, and then say, right, some some days later, here are your here are your real characters, and this, that. But that's what what's awaiting you if you make any sort of error or mistake.
1: Yep. So in, in the zombie context, it could be the guys in the lab where the initial breakout happens. Yeah. And if one of them gets away, then fine. But um, let's let's
0: make them. Or or the first responder team of of marines going in to try and discover what all all this stuff is about, or something like that. Or even just the police. Mm -hmm. But that's going to come on to a topic that I I want to go on to in a moment. Let's segue into... talked earlier about how much you need to give the players in order to understand the world and in order to build their characters. I want to take that question and turn it on its head and ask how little can you get away with telling the players about the world and about the characters. I was thinking about this because I was making notes for another game I'll probably never run. But um, an attempt to do something like Ars Magica with Goethe's Mechanics, a medieval world, perhaps even our world, in which there has been magic in the past, and some genius makes the discovery of a unifying magic theory to bring it all together. Right. I was thinking about how little I could tell the players about the world they're in and what magic in it can and can't do. So it's all... To be discovery for them now i've got a cautionary tale in my own past in which i once did a campaign in which i said right this is going to be near future cyberpunkish um you are um, people troubleshooters in this sort of world and then i went and did something like shadow run and reintroduced magic on them. And players complained to me afterwards that I had, uh, I think the expression is bait and switch them, mm. you know, given them some, one thing and then deceived them. And the player who ended up playing a magic-using cat who could throw fireballs out of his tail was perfectly happy, but the rest <laughs> of them felt a little bit... Uh, he was that way because his character got killed in the in the first wave of magic. Mm. But the rest of them were a bit disgruntled. So what I'm saying is... What are the limits of what you can... What I'm asking is, what are the limits of what you can tell the players, not tell the players and get away with it? And how little do they need to know?
1: I think it is incumbent on the GM not to make character designs worthless. Yeah. Now, in the example you're talking about, um, if if I were planning to reintroduce magic, Magic, I would... What to do it gradually mm-hmm. so that PCs can say, hey, I want to get in on the ground floor of this, maybe. Mm-hmm. Or indeed say, oh dear, I don't actually want to lose myself to horrible, tentacular monstrosities, but I will try to work out countermeasures to this. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing is, not, not to spring it on them, uh, I, I was in a quite a long-running campaign, I gather. Um, yeah. the, the first session of it I played in, and indeed it was the last I played in, uh, turned out to be the one where it was being changed from... Uh, modern-day special operators, to um, we are thrown into an alien world with no resources. Oh, that one, yes. Uh, Doomfair as a Coromon. Sort of. Which was not particularly what I wanted. No. Uh, but I wanted to join the modern-day campaign. One example that did work quite well for mm. me, uh, a world I came up with where for various reasons involving the Black Death, yeah. um, the American continent is colonised by the Japanese. Okay. Going yeah. east. Effectively, it you you could call it samurai and six guns, <laughs> that's that's the rough tech level. Yeah. So I I put in the initial briefing. Yeah, you you've heard of magic. You don't believe in it, of course. I mean, lower class people would go to a witch or a soothsayer, but you, you're samurai. You don't do things like that. Yeah. When they met an actual witch, th- th- this was fa- fairly um, disconcerting for them. Yeah. But I put in enough clues that there might be something a bit yeah. iffy going on, that the, that the players didn't actually get annoyed. Mm. Um, they, they of course did not want to learn magic because they were samurai and that magic is dishonourable of course, so that's cheating and it t- turns out that witches die quite well when you hit them with katanas a lot mm. one of the things I, I was thinking was A. to allow
0: reserved character points for buying later stuff uh, For they want to they have, have the ability to do magic let them ha- turn out to have the native talent and they never knew it which is a little crude. Another was, if I say t- say to them at, from the beginning, this game is about the rediscovery and codification of magic, but you don't know much about it at the start. And then say to each of the players individually, write down one thing you want magic to be able to do, and one thing you want it not to be able to do. Mm-hmm. And tell me about it, but don't tell the other players. Sort of microscope style, yeah. To say um, that you can put some secret parameters on the on the game. At I know at least, I have at least one player who's going to say something stupid. But <laughs> <laughs> I can, I can. He, he yeah, he, he, is, he is, he is amenable to. Um, on the other hand, he may, he, if if he if he wants there to be flying sentient airships, then that would be cool because he does come up with some cool stuff time. Yeah, you've got to stop them from feeling cheated.
1: Yeah, and I, I think it would be important to say that w- whatever characters people initially build, whatever whatever parameters you give them to work with them, mm. those should still be useful and important characters. Yeah. Uh, if if you had a shadow run party with no magicians in it, mm. nobody would take it seriously. So the party, as established, yeah, which is now in a shadow run setting and has no magicians in it, will will feel second best. Yeah. Why? Right. But if well, if the magicians are starting out as weird and unstable
0: and slightly useless individuals, who can still do occasional remarkable thing. Then I think that's more reasonable, and they can start. Well, they can see the first generation of wizards either as a younger kid brother who has um, this this weird talent, or as an outsider. I don't know. One of my problems, as I've said before, is keeping secrets in the game. Mm-hmm. And a game like this, I think, has to have secrets built deep into the background in order to make sense. One of the problems I have with Ask Magica is that it's got this great accretion of stuff, a parts of which are designed to nerf magicians in various complicated ways, and it's not been designed as a setting to start with. And the people who are used to it say, of course, it's always been that way, but I,
1: I can't get my head around. Part it's of that, I think, is because they're trying to keep it looking recognisably like medieval Europe. Yeah, well, that is one of, that is one of the problems. But um,
0: and in some ways, it would be a better system if, they, if, if for a game that just threw away the whole background
1: and said, let's start from something else. Yeah, or start from... Part of the problem there, I think, is that the, the part of the backstory, if I'm not getting this wrong, is yeah. that there has been magic for a long time. You yes. Know, there have been people studying magic for a for long, long time. For a long time, but until... And this is the bit I'm trying to steal... Until somebody comes along and says, mm, "Let us unify this in one grand theory, but if there's been magic for ages, that, that means it can't have had a huge effect on the history that we know of, which is basically without large scale it has magic. To, it is a wainscoting effect, and um, and the, the the thing that I've been looking at as a, as a way of changing that yeah. is to say this is entirely new. There has never been magic before. yeah, yeah. or at least never on any sort of scale. And yeah. Th- therefore, yeah, maybe the PCs are the initial discoverers. Maybe they are people who hear about the initial discoverers and try it for this, themselves. This is Atlantis,
0: the role playing game, rather than, um, rather, well, yeah, maybe.
1: Um, I'm I'm not suggesting this for any any specific setting. In a modified form, which I can't talk about in detail, it's automated into the World War Two game, um, but it's a way of saying yes, we've got the history we know about. Yeah. But now it's going to change, and so even, even though I've said, you know, we're in 1430, that doesn't mean 1440 is going to be a recognisable 1440.
0: Yeah. Well, there is a lot you can do with wainscoting, but if you do that, magic has never been known on any scale before, then you lose out on all the nice uh, hidden treasures and um, information buried in tombs and other I'm not sure there is a, a hard and firm attitude, but
1: you have given me some, some food for thought. My um, general principle is, if in doubt, trust the players to keep stuff separate from the characters. You you lose that sudden, oh, wow, discovery on the players, but you also lose the, I don't want to play this anymore. True. I I like that, oh, wow, moment, yep. if, I, if I can pull it
0: off. <laughs> trouble is, I, I suspect, if I use GURPS, then I'm inheriting a lot of previous art, and I, I'm sure that I'm not enough of a, a systems mathem to invent a game all of my own. It's a bit of a bugger.
1: Put together a magic system based on thaumatology? Then then at least it won't have the history of 20 years of people trying to exploit a given magic system. Yeah,
0: that, that sort of thing. Yeah. Handwavium, large yeah. amounts of handwavium is definitely... I'm not. I'm not. I'm not entirely sure that I can do even that much um, systems mavening, but we'll. Ha- I'll have to have a go and have another think about this. Thank you very much, Roger. Hmm. Next section of our broadcast is entitled "Roger's Ranked." Roger, you wanted
1: to have a rant. Well, I thought of this um, when we were talking about story games a while back. Uh Um, I've been contemplating these since because a lot of people who are, for whom I have a lot of respect, are writing what I would call story games. Uh Examples being? Um, Ken Hyde, Robin Laws. Yeah. Um, Hillfolk. Yeah. Even, well, I'm I'm thinking here particularly about the gumshoe system. Yeah. Which I think is a great idea, but it just doesn't seem to work for the sort of play I do. Now it may well be that the sort of play I do is not compatible with it, but what what I'm, well, I've been trying about that. Is um, it seems to me that there's a division between the idea that a good game is one that co- that copies the shape of story of another medium, you know, the up and down beats, yeah. the climax, the coda, yeah, and okay. things like that. Hamm- yeah. The Hamlet's hit points philosophy, one might say. Yeah, yeah, I grind my teeth over that. Bit. And opposed to that, the idea that, that that an RPG is its own sort of story that needs to be told in its own sort of way, because the medium shapes what is fun and what isn't. Yeah. What I'm particularly gnawing my teeth over at the moment is limited use abilities. Okay. So the the Gumtree family of games Mm -hmm. make this absolutely central. I can be a world-renowned forensic pathologist, and I can do my impressive forensic pathology thing a set number of times. And once I've used them up, I I just can't do that again. I have to step back and let someone else take Mm -hmm. the spotlight. And that's it. It's a spotlight. What I didn't realise when I first read the rules, it is a spotlight mechanic. It's what one sees in a TV show like, you know, like, say, the CSI series. Yeah. Everybody gets their turn to do something nifty. Mm-hmm. And you may have one guy who's the focus for this episode because it's an episode about him, but generally it's it's about the different members of the team all doing stuff.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I, but but, but every, oh.
1: everybody gets their share of, mm-hmm. I can do something impressive this time. Now, what I think of... The the default mode for a role-playing game is is a reasonably long-running campaign, at least a year or so of play. And you get more variation there. My my Madness Dossier game, I ran a little while back, maybe this week our heroes are infiltrating a computer game company. Last week they had a cult disguised as a self-improvement centre, and next week they're going to be off to Occupy Baghdad to investigate some horrible murders. PCs want to cover all the different angles and all the things they might be asked to do. So they tend to have a pretty wide array of skills, and they don't they don't really like overlapping with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so any given adventure, there will be one PC who falls into the role of the star of this adventure. Yeah. You know, maybe it's the guy who, who really understands computer graphics, or maybe the other time it's the guy who, who mm-hmm. knows about swords. And so the other PCs do their own thing, but here here is somebody who is the star. And as long as you can, over, over the entire campaign, balance the amount of spotlight time somebody gets, I don't think it's necessary to balance it with an individual individual adventure. I think the players will say, yeah, okay, so uh, Bob Bob's playing the guy who's important to this yeah. puzzle. So, all right, some, sometimes you will get a PC who doesn't really fit well in any of the adventures you had in mind. That's a problem. Sometimes you've got a PC who ends up dominating because they're just too useful. That, I will agree that that's a problem. Mm. The other thing is that, it, that the having the rational spotlight time breaks immersion for me. This is an obvious situation where I could use my skill, but if I use it now, I won't be able to use it later. Yeah, is, is, is not is not a thing that the guy on the ground will be thinking. I ha- I have to step back. Here and I say, am
0: in the moment. Can yeah. I do something? It's what always what the guy on the ground will be thinking.
1: If it's a matter of you know, I'm not going to have enough bullets to shoot things later. Yeah, that's fair enough. That's sort of sort of position somebody somebody can make, or um, enough magic points or whatever that might be. But I, I think when when it's an innate ability, you know, I, I've gone to the trouble to learn this skill and I can use this skill, it just doesn't yeah. quite sit well with me. I'm I'm, I'm changing to an author. Yeah, the, I could see why it's causing tension. To be fair, uh, I've been
0: reading a lot of Gumshoe lately because uh, Trailer Cthulhu went on um,
1: bundle folding recently, mm-hmm. and I had I had a, a lack of willpower, which was repeated again this week. That's some good stuff in in, the, in the Gumshoe, especially Trailer Cthulhu. I'm very impressed with it.
0: Yeah, is the it to be fair to the system? What it says is you are awesome at your 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 skill. Your points are to do extra stuff, but the the thing is that you will always get the core clue. That's a big thing with um, Gumshoe in general. Uh, But you don't know when you're going to need the extra thing now or later, and I, I agree that is a problem. It works worse as a system. With the general abilities, where the ablative nature of your points pool buggers up combat, in my estimation, something horrid. It it makes it very ungranular, very uninteresting in in the results
1: it produces. Yeah, uh, again, I think it's trying to ration how much useful stuff you can do so that you have to step back and let other people do stuff. I I will agree with you that the issue
0: of spotlight time is best dealt with on on a scenario... And campaign design level—that's something I learned from Prime Time Adventures—that which there where there is a rule that um, uh, this is Freddy's week uh, to be in the spotlight. Or right, uh, let's use a, a fictional example. This is Xander's week to be in the spotlight. This is Willow's week to be in the spotlight. Mm-hmm. And it, and that doing that on a conscious level is very good. And if you have a a player character who hasn't been in the spotlight yet, you write the down scenario so that it is about them. Mm-hmm. Somehow or or, 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 or other, you, you bring the focus on them. But I have occasionally known players who, when I offer them the spotlight, tend out not to like it very much, <laughs> which is a bit depressing. Yeah, um, right, though it's difficult to hide. Well, yeah, they want to be in the background. They want to the 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 casual gamer. You have to, as Robin says, uh, know the know your audience. I yeah, I find that 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 strategic tactical level of deciding do I do this now or later, um, is, it discourages me from, from going out and looking for stuff. And it also tends to make me say, I'll hold it till later. Let's make me finding out what I need to know the GM's problem.
1: Yeah. And resource management has been part of RPGs from the very beginning. Yeah. It's just generally been resource management of stuff. Not quite conventional stuff. Um, you may run out of crossbow bolts, but you don't you don't get worse at shooting a crossbow. You may run out yeah. of spells, but you you are still a magician. Yeah. You
0: are. Um, and and yeah, but except that the scholarly types, the types for whom knowledge is the is their defining good thing, um, unless they get whacked really hard over the head, do not get stupider as time goes by. Charles, Charles is moved to the spotlight. Whack! Ow! Yeah, I understand what I understand what you're saying. Um, I, I I don't have an answer
1: to this, and I, I I still very much like a lot of the things about the gumshoe system. Uh, I I like the fact that you're not stuck wandering around looking for a clue. I'm not sure they've got the best way of doing it, but I think they've got a way of doing it that works, and it needs to yeah. be done. And again, it's done by structuring it into the scenario
0: rather than it's done best by structuring it into the scenario. There's really good advice about how to discover how to structure a Investigative scenario and make sure that they get all the information that they need.
1: Yeah, I, I think one can be cruel about this. I've certainly heard people comment, you know, we're, we're playing this adventure, right? We, we, we have found the clue, let's go on to the next thing. Yeah. <laughs> Rather than let's finish playing out this scene. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. All right, you need, you, there may be problems about making people engage with their characters. On the other hand, but, let, they let, have found the clue. Maybe there Maybe you need the hurry up music. Dum 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 If I'd like to say something nice at this moment in time. Good idea. Let me start by reading something. Cuisine. Imperial cuisine has been likened to a peasant army. It seeks to overwhelm through mass and excess. People of the sunless plains favour subtly nuanced cuisine and prize unusual flavours and textures. Much of the oldest affectation for strange foods, like the briskly cleaned and sautéed rectums of blind albino lizards, can be traced to sunless plains' influence. What it's worth, the name of that particular dish is Nubblies. We were talking, uh, I think last time, about um, world design, and you brought up Patricia C. Reed's list of stuff you might want to answer about your your universe. Or at least should be able to answer. Yeah, which she goes on to in great length. It's, uh, we, we do recommend you have a look at the list on the website about stuff you might want to consider about culture about um, technology, about religion, about all sorts of things that you might want to detail about the imaginary world that you're creating. And the example I want to bring forward, and which I just quoted uh, to you from, is from the core book of Rain by Greg Stalsy, which is a system I have some enthusiasm for. Now, those of you who have bought the reduced uh, version, the version with just the rules there, in Creodon which I think, it's, I think it's called, which um, is a bit of obscure um, uh, learning that Greg's thrown in there, have missed um, his setting for it, the exotic and strange world of Heluso and Melonda, which refers to a couple of side-by-side continents, which are a little bit unusual. In the book, he details four cultures from the world, just to show what he can do and to give examples of cultures that the mechanics can uh, rise out of. And he does this by taking a central theme of each culture and then answering the questions about what do they wear, what do they listen to, um, whether their children go to school, in ways which illustrate the uh, the central theme of the culture. For example, there is the um, the empire, which I just re- read a bit about uh, from the Cuisine section which is once we rule the world but now alas we are in are far from our glory days is their central theme so it's decadent it's exotic it has more wealth than it knows what to do with and it has lots of little fights between its component parts who still hang together because it's better than being hung separately
1: yeah and what, indeed where, where i come in on this segment is that one of the things we missed from world building last time and we talked about starting with geography and yeah. So on, but what happens if you want to start with a theme? And yes, that, that seems to be an, a, an example of this. You you you're defining the empire as that, and then you're then you're
0: taking the parts of uh, there are five ma- ma- major major parts on other outlying conquered territory, and and you're you're showing how the parts interact with each other, how they differ from each other, in taste for food, in attitude towards towards music, uh, towards art. And sometimes you're throwing in things which are just too cool, like the uh, Empress's bodyguard who have had their jawbones magically and surgically removed in order to gain the terrible and um, and quite gross powers they have to uh, keep the Empress from harm and to ensure their absolute loyalty, because if you break the separated jawbone, they instantly die. Hmm. And only the Empress is allowed into that room. And then there's, for example, there's the Dindavaran, who are sort of um, like the Japanese. A Japanese. They are their definition is that the nobles have a totally different culture uh, from the peasants, but the two are dependent on each other and inter- interact with each other. And so you've got two different, contrasting halves of the of the same nation, and they are um, and they are de- defined by their attitudes towards each other and their attitudes um, towards the outside world, because everybody knows that um, the outside world, that if the nobles regard the, um, the Dindavaran peasants as children who need to be uh, guided and taken care of, the Dindavaran nation as a whole regards the rest of the world as like that, and they are fractious children who don't really know how to behave well out there.
1: It's, it seems to me that if, if you're running a game set in such a world, that the conflicts that you're going to get come out of those little details. Yes. But because those details were written with the theme in mind, they, they are each going to hark at, a, at, the, at the theme. So oh, over an extended period, you're going to say, well, hang on a minute, we do, we do have this common strand hmm. emerging from these various things. And I, I think that, that's a feeling of realism that's well worth going for.
0: Yes, it means... The other two examples are the Uldish, who are a nation who have lost their nobility, um, they got uh, wiped out by the empire's magicians, and have uh, instead developed a guild-based culture which is vibrant, uh, aggressive, thinks that everybody has uh, an equal chance at the top, even though actually they don't, and is vulgar and uh, fond of ostentatious display and Lustful and generally a lot more fun and corrupt, but not decadent um, <laughs> in, in the way the empire is. And then there's the Trulls, who um, live in the in the place in a place where it is perpetually dark, and are cannibals for religious and social reasons, and are being pushed back by the Uld's, and are the only white race I have mentioned so far. It's one of the th- things of the universe that only the old lobs who are half-breeds and the, and the despised oldish who live in the darkness are white-skinned. And it, it's, it's just a, a thing in a general background to make, make things weird. There comes a point, and I really wish this world had its own dedicated book and more background to it, but I don't think Greg Stalls is going to do it, because I think he's moved on to other projects and, mm. find, and finds them. Uh, more fun. And if I ever go back, I may have to start writing background for whichever bit of it I uh, I use um, as the setting. Why he goes over the top and comes to a point at which uh, I find myself straining is that he's made the two continents not into land masses as such, but into the bodies of two giant gods which are lying in an infinite ocean. Gravity is Except on the ocean, gravity is always inward to the body of the gods. So this means that if you go along the arm, where the there's an arm stretching from one of the gods uh, to the other, and if you go along the arm, that's where the empire is. If you go around and under one, the, the darkwood forest, I think it's called, is the armpit of the god mm-hmm. in perpetual darkness, and you're living amongst his arm hairs, I think. At least I think that's what the metaphor is. And at this point, it gets
1: just too weird and difficult to be used. But it's still brilliant. I think one has to consider human nature. And if you if you transplant people into somewhere like like that, they'll say, "Oh wow, the gravity is different." And so, on. give them six weeks, and I'll be saying, "Yeah, it's like that. We're used to it."
0: <laughs> you really, have, uh, yeah. But it's a poor, it's a poor bloody GM who has to remember where everything <laughs> is.
1: <laughs> Do they have
0: tides? That's a good question. I'm not, there are moon. There's a moon and a sun, which fluctuate in light and uh, don't and are perpetually
1: fixed in place. Because when you've got an infinite ocean, you could have some really impressive tidal effects.
0: Oh dear me! Sorry. It's
1: bad enough that you have to after have, have
0: to, when you get to the to, to the ninety degree angle between the go- body of the god, and where your sit, uh, your ship is sitting on the ocean, you have to sort of portage over and allow for the shift in the gravity it, 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 it's, it's it's bad enough can
1: I'll you get virtual motion machine out of that i bet you can
0: roger you're <laughs> the sort of you're the sort of player i don't want when i'm running this cafe
1: <laughs> but uh, let me uh, let
0: me praise it let me say um greg if you ever go back to it uh, I, I, i'm in the market for more but let me say nice thing, things about this particularly wonderful bit of of design i'm going to be reading Numenera next, and I'm sort of a bit worried about that by Monte Cook, which was the next thing on Bundle of Holding, which I failed to make my resist roll on. I'm a bit worried about that because it is set in the far distant future after the Earth has been recreated nine times, and you're living in the remnants of all that technology from all the previous eras, and I'm really wondering how I could make that real uh, for players. I mean, I mean, compared with, you know, you're living in, in the junk of people whose technology you can't possibly understand, but you've got to use it to survive, I might have difficulties,
1: is all I'm going to say. Magic item creation table?
0: I'm not sure, I've got, I've got that far in the rules, but a random magic item generator would be uh, useful. I mean, this useful. The, that,
1: would, that would give you the feel, Yeah. you know, he, here, here is a belt. I need to hold up my trousers so I'll put on this belt maybe it'll let me fly maybe it'll cut me in half
0: maybe it'll change my sex again
1: (laughs) (laughs) but anyway thank you very much Um, that has
0: been a brief uh, unsolicited commercial that was Improvised Radio Theatre with Dice a bumper edition me Michael Kuehl and me Roger Bell West and if you have any comments suggestions about things we could be talking about oh damn I didn't do Marco Subia's thing I forgot next week Marco next time Marco I do promise and uh, if I have any criticisms to make please make them too. send us email at podcast at or you can leave a comment on the website New up aided superior website the computer tells you so citizen be happy the computer is never wrong Wrong,
1: wrong! I'll kick the bloody thing.